All right, today we'll be reading from Psalm 146. Psalm 146 says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he who help, whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. The psalm calls on us to praise God for everything, and it serves as a reminder that we are to praise God and not men, which is what we're about to do. But before we do, let's recite the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Open the grave, I'm coming 
transgressions he was crushed for our sins the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds by his wounds we are healed by his wounds by his wounds what can wash
the time in the service for communion. If you are a baptized believer, we invite you to take communion with us. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26 says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. We thank you, Holy Father, for your holy name, which you made to dwell in our hearts, and for knowledge and faith and immortality as you made known to us through Jesus, your servant. Glory to you forever. You, Lord Almighty, created all things to show forth your name. You give both food and drink to man to enjoy an everlasting life through your servant. Above all, we thank you because you are mighty. Glory to you forever. Remember, Lord, your church to deliver her from evil and mature her in your love and gather her from the four winds, separated into your kingdom, which, is, which you made for her, because you have the power and the glory forever. Let grace come, and this world pass away. Hosanna to the Son of David. If anyone is holy, let him come. If anyone is not, let him repent. Marathana. Amen.
Now is the time in the service for announcements. Um, I will start off by saying the bulletins today are pink. If you don't have one, be sure to grab one today. It has lots of information about the church. Um, sometimes I will leave them with family, um, not necessarily accidentally, but <laughs> it's kind of like an invite. Here's some information about the church. Um, can be used as a witnessing tool. You can use uh, the back of it to write notes from today's sermon, prayer requests. If you've met someone new, write their name down so you can remember it the next time. Um, or just pray for some needs that were said in the church service that day. Um, we're always collecting pill bottle donations from Matthew 25 and ink cartridges that are empty at your house. Bring them in. They help um, reduce office supply costs here at the church. Food pantry closed closets every Thursday, 5 to 7. Donations can be dropped off during that time or on Sundays after service. There's a list of most frequently needed items. If you'd like to come and serve, see what we do, or just come and chit-chat, we'd love that also. Um, we have also been doing some work with the garden on Thursdays. Um, so it's kind of like if you drive past here on Thursday, there's lots going on. Refits also on Thursday. Tuesday and Friday, 6.30 to 7.30, so we do that here. Breakfast fellowships the first Sunday of the month at 9.30. Come and eat with us. We do lots of eating. Weekly budgets listed here. Ministries you support through giving at Heartland. Um, you can give at the back of the church in person or online through our website. If you haven't seen the updated website, please be sure to get on there and check it out. The calendar is up to date, so if you're looking for things to do or you want to tell a friend or a family member, hey, you should sign so-and-so up for that, or hey, we can do this together, um, that's a good way to um, get involved. There are also sermons that are uploaded, so if you're planning a vacation or you've missed one or you want to hear something again, um, those are also on the website. The Chosen uh, Season 1 ends this evening. Tonight is the last one. Free community event, so it'll be 6.30 to 7.45. Free popcorn and drinks, again, tonight's the last one. There are seasons after one, so if you missed it, this, you can still see it online. You can talk to um, Ruth if you like. She can help you get set up to watch it from home. I just put you on the spot. <laughs> uh, Mellon Ridge Ministry, July 23rd at 2. Uh, we bring worship to the residents at Mellon Ridge facility. Um, church does give you, um, we do provide lunch for anyone who would like to serve. Um, so please sign up at the welcome table so we can make sure we have enough lunch for everyone that would like to go. Youth event is the Ark Encounter. So Saturday, July 29th, we'll be leaving here from the church at 9 a.m., um, I'd say we probably are going to be gone six, seven hours. It takes a bit of time to get there, um, and we do need to know if you're going to go so we can get tickets and make sure we have enough transportation for everybody. So please let us know if you know a youth that would like to go. Goshen Ready Fest 2023, this is our eighth year doing it. It's going to be August 6, 2 to 4 p.m. We are collecting as a church zippered pencil pouches and colored pencils. There is a bin in the foyer to collect those things. Um, some people like to just hand me cash, which is fine, but you don't have to. Um, I'm happy to shop for you, um, or you can bring those items in. Um, we give free backpacks, school supplies. We partner with other churches and organizations in Goshen. Um, some of the pictures there, Wendy comes. There's um, police and fire. There's teachers that come. There are um, free haircuts we grill out and offer a lunch. So it's a good time just to get together. This is not about a financial need. It's about telling Goshen we love you. 
um, we do this in the name of Jesus, and we want to push you forward in life. So um, before we get move on with the 10-minute meet and greet, Empty Nesters is meeting now back at Ruth Liming's house. And if you have a prayer request, no matter how small you think it may be, you can email on the website. It comes directly to the church website. It doesn't go out to everybody. And you can say it's a private just for leadership to pray about. You can say, please send it to the prayer team. Um, or you can text it to myself or someone on the leadership team so that we can be praying for whatever that need is. Chris. There is no refit this week, so you will see a sign on the door if you come up. In your workout clothes, you can stand in the parking lot and work out if you like, but there will be no refit. We'll put you to work in the pantry if it's Thursday or in the garden. But um, Kids are going to go downstairs for Children's Church, and now is your 10-minute meet and greet. Thank you. The 10-minute meet and greet is going to like 15 and 20. It's okay. It's good fellowship. Um, Real quick, I forgot to announce, there's green papers. I don't know if we have any more out there, but I will make some more copies. We are going to start working through um, family Bible reading plans. Um, so this is for July 2023. We've done this in the past. We're not really necessarily going to get together and talk about it. We may in the future, but we're going to start trying to just be on a plan as a church, as families, reading the same things together. So this is um, for July. It will be on the website also if you want to pull it up on your phones or computers to, or print it to view it um, starting tomorrow. So each month will be a different reading plan. So read it with your spouse, read it with your family, read it with your kids. Um, if you need a Bible, a written Bible, if you need a wonder Bible to read it to you, let us know. Um, we'll help you figure that out. Okay? Don't let anything stop you from getting the word into your, your mind and uh, your life. So that's all I have. If you have questions about it, uh, let Derek know. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll get some more copies and uh, look forward to talking more about this. Thank you. So let's get right into it. We're going to um, turn together in our Bibles to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're only going to read uh, the first part of verse 3. 1 Peter 1, 3, and when you find that in your Bible, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Now, the title of today's teaching is The True Grace of God. It's part four, The True God of Grace. Now, 1 Peter 1, 3, the scriptures say, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. How important is it for Christians to share the same beliefs about God? It's very popular in current Christian culture to hear people who mean well ask questions like this. Can we all just focus on Jesus? You know, the problem with questions like that is everyone who claims to believe in Jesus does not necessarily believe in the real Jesus. Not everyone who claims to know God truly knows the true God. But Jesus told us we must worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So true worship of the one true God must be based on the truth about who God is. We cannot live in the true grace of God unless we understand the true God of grace. So in today's passage, Peter teaches us three truths about the true God of grace. Let's pray. 
Holy Father, we thank you so much for your word. And as we approach this teaching about what you've revealed about yourself to us in your word, grant us eyes to see and ears to hear the truth and give us grace to practice truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first truth Peter teaches us about the true God of grace is the true God of grace deserves praise. In the first part of 1 Peter 1.3, Peter says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Greek word the NIV translate praise is the word from which we get our English word eulogy. And you might have heard that word used in connection with funerals. At funerals, preachers, friends, and family members often give a eulogy or eulogize the person who has died. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means we take time to draw attention to the good qualities about the person. We offer the highest praise possible to them for the good things that they did. And that's what Peter says God deserves from all of us. The God of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all things, the one from whom every good and perfect gift comes down to us, he deserves the highest praise possible from all of creation. He deserves the highest praise possible for all the good things he has done and continues to do. The true God of grace deserves our highest praise. And Peter will go on in the next eight verses to give us many reasons why our God deserves the highest praise. And I'll get to those in my next message. But in verse 3, Peter teaches us God not only deserves our highest praise because of what he does, God also deserves our highest praise for who God is. And that brings us to the second truth Peter teaches about the true God of grace. The true God of grace is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this might seem surprising, but God is called the God of our Lord Jesus Christ or some combination of those words several times in the New Testament. We see this in 1 Peter 1.3. Peter says, praise be to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see this same phrase in 2 Corinthians 1.3. 1.3, Paul says, praise be to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, in Ephesians 1.17, Paul says, he keeps praying to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in addition to this, Jesus calls God his God at least five times in the New Testament. In John 20.17, Jesus tells Mary Magdalene to go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. In Revelation 3.12, Jesus says to the churches, the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. So Jesus calls God his God several times. Now, we also see this same truth taught in the Old Testament. In one of the most famous psalms about the Messiah, we read this. Psalm 145, verses 6 through 7. Your throne, O God, is for eternity of eternity. The rod of your kingdom is a rod of uprightness. You loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. On account of this, God, your God, anointed you with olive oil of great joy beyond your companions. So in this song, we see there are two persons called God. One person called God anoints another person called God. 
And we know from the New Testament that the person called God who receives an anointing from his God is the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Old Testament calls God the God of Jesus. Jesus called God his God. And multiple New Testament writers call God the God of Jesus. Now, from the very beginning of the Old Covenant, God's people were taught a truth that is essential to their worship of the one true God. It's the truth we find in Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. See, unlike the nations around them who worshipped many gods, the people of Israel were taught that there is only one true God. And we see the same truth taught in the New Testament, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8.6. There is but one God from whom all things came and for whom we live. Now, let me ask you an immensely important question. If there's only one God, as both the Old and New Testaments clearly teach, and if the Lord Jesus is God, as both the Old and New Testaments clearly teach, then how can Peter and the other New Testament writers call God the God of our Lord Jesus Christ? Does this really mean that there actually is more than one God? Well, to answer that question... We turn to the third and final truth Peter teaches us about the true God of grace. But Peter not only says God is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Peter also teaches us the true God of grace is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is God. He is divine because he received his divinity from God the Father. The Father is the source of the Son. Now, this is the truth the Old Testament only hinted at and hid in veiled language. But that veil has been lifted since God sent his son into the world. And so Peter says in 1 Peter 1.3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8.6, For us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. So we always got to think of God in connection with him being the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, that truth, this truth that had only been hinted at in the Old Testament and has now been revealed in Christ is this. The one true God is God the Father. And God the Father has a divine son whom he sent to be the savior of the world. Jesus calls God his father more than 50 times In the New Testament, Jesus is the only or uniquely begotten Son of his God and Father. And this is an eternal relationship. Scripture teaches us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Jesus is, always has been, and always will be the divine Son of the living God. God's Son was begotten or brought forth from the Father before all ages. So does this mean then that Jesus is created? He's a created being, as some people would have us believe? It doesn't mean he's created at all. Jesus was brought forth from the Father in a way we cannot fully comprehend and in the way the Scriptures do not fully explain to us, but the Scriptures definitely teach that Jesus was begotten from the Father. But we don't need to understand how this happened or be able to fully explain how it happened. We just need to believe what God chose to reveal to us about himself through his son to the apostles and prophets in the church. 
And those apostles and prophets, they reveal to us Jesus was begotten from the Father before all ages. He is true God, born from true God. He is true light, born from true light. Jesus was, is, and always will be the Son of the living God. And in John 1.14, John tells us, 2,000 years ago, God's only begotten Son became a divine human being when he became the Son of Man. John says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, many people read this verse as if the word begotten here refers to the Word becoming flesh and being born as a human. But here, John introduces us to a truth he emphasizes throughout his gospel. The glory Jesus reveals is the glory he had with God before the foundation of the world. His glory is his glory as the divine Son of God. And in John 1.18, John makes it clear that the begetting or the birthing John's talking about is not Jesus being born of Mary. No, John says, no one has seen God, the Father, at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Now, this verse contains what is known as a textual Variant. And what that means is some Greek manuscripts of the New Testament have the words, the only begotten Son. Other Greek manuscripts have the words, the only begotten God. Now, either one of those translations get us to the same place. Because John is emphasizing what Jesus had always been before he became a human being. John's talking again about God being begotten from God, light being born from light, divinity being brought forth from divinity. John's talking about God the Father bringing forth the only begotten God, whom John also calls the only begotten Son of God. Jesus was begotten by God the Father before all ages. So Jesus was already the only begotten Son of God when God the Father sent him to be the Savior of the world. Now I want you to notice something in John 1.18. John tells us no one has ever seen God. And this shows us that although the Son is one with God the Father in divinity, the Son of God is distinct from God the Father in person. And here's why I say that. I'm going to ask you a question. Is Jesus God? Let's get a little more participation here. Is Jesus God? All right. Did anyone ever see Jesus in his glory as God? Yes, yes, they did. John just told us. We saw his glory, glory as the only begotten son of the Father. Isn't that what he said? So they saw his glory. They saw his glory on the mountain when Jesus was transfigured. What does that mean? Jesus was changed. He, they saw his glory when he, when he showed them who he truly was. So they saw his glory as of the only begotten from the Father. So John tells us he and the other apostles saw the glory of Jesus as God's only begotten Son. All right, so if Jesus is God and if people have seen the glory of Jesus as God, then how can John say no one has seen God at any time? Well, the answer is simple. The answer is John must mean no one has seen God the Father at any time. No one has seen the one whom Paul talked about in 1 Timothy 616, the one who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen 
or can see. See, no one has seen or can see God the Father. So God the Father sent His Son, who is also divine, to reveal the Father to the world. But the only begotten Son, who is Himself God, He has explained the Father to us. And this is why in John 14, 9, when Philip asked Jesus to show his disciples the Father, Jesus says this, he says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Now, many false teachers misuse this verse to try to prove Jesus is the Father. But is that what Jesus is saying? Is Jesus saying, whoever's seen me has seen the Father because I am the Father? Is that what Jesus is saying? Well, if so, that would make Jesus his own Father. And if John were saying Jesus expected his disciples to believe Jesus was the Father, well, then John would be contradicting his entire purpose for writing this gospel. So John tells us his purpose in John 20, verse 4. He says, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, neither John nor any other New Testament writer taught that Jesus is the Father. Because Jesus is not the Father. And people who claim Jesus is the Father and pray to Jesus as the Father are praying to a Jesus that does not exist. That is a doctrine of demons who has people thinking that they worship Jesus, but they don't know who he is at all. So Jesus is not the Father. Jesus is the Son of God, the Father. So what does Jesus mean when he says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father? Well, he means exactly what Paul says in Colossians 1.15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The Son of God is the image of the invisible Father. And the Greek word for image is the word ikon, and it's where we get our English word icon. Now, what is an icon? Well, an icon is a visual representation of something or someone. So when Jesus says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father, he means he is the exact representation of the divine nature of God the Father. Jesus means what Paul says in Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Paul says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Let me go back here just for a minute to verse 2 where he says, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. This shows us again that Jesus was there in the beginning with the Father when he created the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So the Son of the God is the radiance of the divine glory that he received from his God and Father. He is the exact representation of the divine nature of the invisible God in visible form. I'm going to say this again. He is the exact representation of the divine nature of the invisible God in visible form. Jesus is the exact representation of the Father's divinity. Because the Son of God shared the divinity of his God and Father. So when we see Jesus, we see exactly what his God and Father and our God and Father is like. 
As the icon of the invisible God, Jesus displays the glory of his glorious God and Father. And Jesus also displays what human beings were created in Christ to be like. And this is why all of this technical sounding language, all of these arguments that we're, we're putting forth here that are kind of boring to people, usually on a Sunday morning, this is why all this is so important. This is why knowing who the true God of grace is matters so much. Since Jesus is one nature with God the Father... And since Jesus became one with humanity when he united his divine nature with human nature, when the word became flesh, since those things are true, it's only through an ongoing relationship with the one true God through God's divine human son that we can be brought into a right relationship with God. And this is the relationship God has always had in mind for humanity. And it's this truth that Jesus taught his disciples on the night he was betrayed in John 14, 1 to 6. Jesus said to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. And here he's talking about God the Father. You believe in God the Father. Believe also in me, God's Son. This is what John has built up to through his entire gospel. Believe in me, God's Son. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going? But Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, we often use this, this, especially that last verse to disprove other religions. Oh, wow, these other religions are false. But I want you to think about what Jesus is saying here. So the place Jesus was going to prepare, not only for his disciples, but also for all of humanity, is a room in his father's house. Jesus is saying, I'm going to make a way for all of humanity to join me in my father's house and become a part of my father's family. I'm going to make a way for humanity to be born again from above and become sons and daughters of God. As John says way early on in, in, in his gospel, in John 1, 12 to 13, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, what is his name? His name as the Son of God, right? To those who believed in his name as the Son of God, he gave them the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. See, Jesus made a way for humanity or human beings to become children of God By being born again through water and the Spirit, which John will tell you in chapter 3. Jesus made the way to the Father by uniting humanity with divinity in himself, by killing off the old humanity through the cross, by rising from the grave on the third day as the first of a new creation, and by taking a new humanity with him into heaven where an exalted divine humanity now sits at the right hand of God the Father, in the person of Christ. That's a lot to say, isn't it? See, Jesus is the only way to the Father because it's only in Jesus that we can be united with divinity and participate in the divine nature, becoming a part of God's family. And this brings us back to Peter, right? So in 2 Peter 1, 3-4, Peter says this, His divine power, 
has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. This right here is what true Christianity is supposed to be. Jesus came not just so we can be forgiven of our sins. He came so that we can now participate in the divine nature through our union with him. We can now join Jesus in his father's house as God's children by being united to Jesus in the church, which is the body of Christ. Now, in the church, we become, and this is the most important thing you're going to hear me say today, so please pay attention. In the church, we become by grace what Jesus is by nature. Sons and daughters of the living God who, do, who bear the divine image of God the Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we participate in the divine nature. See, it's in the church that we gain access to the true grace of God so we can be transformed into the image and likeness of God by his grace. This is what the thing is all about, right? Now, I know we don't, we've, never, we've not emphasized this in the church, right? Most of us have heard it's all just about being forgiven so that we can go to heaven when we die. Isn't that the gospel most of us have heard? Come and get forgiven, get your sins cleansed so you can go to heaven. Well, according to what Peter and the other apostles taught, if we're in Christ, then we're in heaven right now. We sit at the right hand of God the Father with Jesus. Why? Because we're united to him. Human beings are united to God through Christ. And what that means is Jesus came to earth not to leave us in a mess, but to lift us up where he is. To take us to be with him. where he, That's what he said to the apostles. I go and prepare a place for you so that you can come and be with me where I am. Now that's ultimately going to happen in the end, but according to Paul, we sit there with Christ now. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, all these things that Paul talked about. And I'm saying all this to say that we need to, as Christians, begin to understand what our heritage is. We need to understand what the Lord wants from us. See, the Lord came not to leave us as we are, but to transform us and make us like him so that we can bear the image of God, so that when people see us, they can say, well, that person looks just like God. That's what God is like. And so sadly, uh, for the majority of people in uh, America, that is the opposite of what we see. What we see is children of the devil claiming to be children of, the God, children of God, and they prove by their lives that they're not children of God. Because John tells us in his first letter that uh, if we're born of God, then we'll live like Jesus did. We'll obey his commandments. We'll be like him. That's what God wants from us. So it's not just about escaping hell and going to heaven. What it's about is becoming like God through the grace of God. So I'm going to say this last little part again because I kind of rushed a little bit, and then I'll be finished. So in the church, we become by grace what Jesus is by nature. We're sons and daughters of the living God who bear the divine image of God, of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ as we participate in the divine nature. So it's in the church that we gain access to the true grace of God so we can be transformed into the image and likeness of God by the true grace of God. Or sorry, by the true God of grace. See, I've messed it up twice now. So we can be transformed into the image and likeness of God by the true God of grace. And for that, we can all say with Peter, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord, 
Jesus Christ. And I could go on and on and on, but I'm going to stop and I'm going to end it there today. So let's all stand for prayer. So this is why it takes me so much time to get through these things. Is because I want to say everything that I learned this week, but I can't do that. Because we might have some people falling out the window like the dude did in the book of Acts, you know, falling asleep. I don't want any of that. But through these things that we've learned today, we see that God is so much more than what we've been led to believe. God is, wants so much more for us than we've been led to believe. So if this is the first time you've heard something like this, uh, this series is about the true grace of God. And this is what the true grace of God does. God's grace makes us like him. God's grace makes us like Jesus. God's grace changes us, transforms us, takes us from a life of sin and transfers us into the kingdom of light where we can live like Christ. So if you want to know how to become a part of this kingdom, become a part of this person who sits at the right hand of God, if you want to know how to do that, then talk to me after service. I've already alluded to it some today. You've got to be baptized into Christ, become united with him. I could talk more about that because people need to understand what they're doing when they, when they uh, join into the family of God. This is not a rash decision that we make. It's a decision to turn away from one life and to live another life. And that means, some of that means you've got to cut off this old life completely. Say, I'm not going to be a part of any of this anymore. These old friends that I have that are dragging me down, I'm not going to be with them anymore. Because if the people we hang around cannot get us into the kingdom of heaven, then they're no more than a distraction. They're no more than a distraction. If we, the people we hang around, if we're not going to them and, and talking to them about the kingdom of God, then again, we're no more than being distracted by them. What we need is people around us who know God, who want to follow God, and who encourage us to follow God. So all that, I'm going to preach another sermon if I don't stop. So I'm going to pray, then I'm going to, uh, <laughs> then I'm going to speak the Lord's blessing over y'all. They're going to sing another song. As they do that, I just welcome you to come forward if you want to pray about anything. There is um, a scripture in James that says, uh, If any of you are sick, call for the elders of the church. Have them anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith makes sick people well. James also says in that, around that same context, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you can be healed. So when you come forward, that's the place to find healing. You find it through confessing, confessing your sins, renouncing those sins. And if we confess our sins, the Lord will forgive us our sins, but he'll also heal us from our sins. So as they sing this song, I want you to, if you want to come forward and do that, there'll be people up here to pray for you. If you want to pray about anything at all, you got a question about anything, uh, we'll be available after the service. So I'm going to, speak, I'm going to pray, then I'll speak the Lord's blessing over you all. Lord, we thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you that through your word you teach us the truth about who you are and what you want us to be in Christ. I pray, Lord, that if there's anything in our minds that confuses us or makes us not understand the things that uh, you say about yourself in your word, that you would take those blocks off of our mind, take those blocks off of our heart, help us to um, be able to truly understand the true God of grace so that we can walk in the true grace of God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And I'll speak the Lord's blessing over you all. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Draw me close to you. 
Yeah.